The Baby Lambs podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi guys, so it's just Ashley today. Hope you guys are doing okay. Um, yeah, it's just me, and uh, you know we're we're all we're all practicing this social distancing thing. Lisette and I are no different. We are working from home. We are with our significant others and trying not to be near anyone else but them. So, well, you know that's where we're at. And uh, right now, as I'm recording this, this is day two of the social distancing uh, project here, if you will. Um, All of Miami, for the most part, is social distancing. For the most part is is probably the most accurate term I could give that. Um, And, you know, the first day was pretty uh, boring. Um, I, I, I did a lot of cleaning. I worked on a couple of stuff, a couple of things for work. And uh, then had nothing else better to do. And uh, was literally like, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next three weeks. When all of a sudden, like like an angel sent from quarantine heaven, I heard a little on the door. And to my surprise, there was a delivery of not just, well, a hunter killer box. <laughs> So Hunt a Killer, I guess it, it feels my pain and decided to send me the start of a new series um, in this little box. So me and Lisette can't play together, obviously, because imagine webcams and virtual this. It would be a pain in the butt. So I'm going to try to do this alone. Let's see how this goes. And uh, and, you know, thank you, Hunt a Killer for um, keeping us sane during these quarantine times. Hunt a Killer is, an, is, if you're not familiar, Hunt a Killer is a subscription box service where each month you could receive clues uh, toward, you know, discovering or, or, or finding a murderer or whatever. They're, they're fictional stories. They come in seasons. So each box is part of one season uh, where you can, you know, build up your your evidence kit you can build up your notes and ultimately at the end discover who the killer is we played one round already before we played a series called the class of 98 uh if you're if you're curious about hunt a killer i definitely suggest that you listen to lisette's oh or me and lisette's go through of uh, the first hunt a killer series because man that was fun and they do such a great job with giving you like realistic looking evidence and stuff like that i'm gonna sort of read through them and and see if i can get you engaged in the world that that uh hunter killer is asking us to build so we open the box where we find a little pamphlet that says start here 
basically, it tells you like how how to join the community, how to you know you want to dedicate a room or a desk or a spare bedroom. Um, they they have a series of different items that you can buy for Hunt a Killer, like a bulletin board with red string to kind of tie together who is who, what is what. I'm telling you, it's a very detailed thing. So in here, we have a couple of little cards. It tells me what I should expect in this envelope here. And there's a very fat vanilla, manila envelope that says gray investigations on it. So let me go ahead and open that, see what's inside. a lot of things in here okay so i'm just trying to pull things out of this manila envelope and while i do that how are you guys doing how are you guys taking all of this uh covid19 stuff i know it's not easy it's not easy for any of us but i hope that you're staying safe washing your hands practicing social distancing while you know medical people figure out how to you know get vaccine vaccines over to us and they can localize the the virus and all of that. I hope you guys are doing okay. Anyway, so we open it up and inside we have, there's a little notebook in here that says Moon Summit National Park. Uh, and it has little, uh, like it's, it looks almost, it's like a little wired notebook. Uh, it's a wildlife guide and it actually has little like instructions in here. It gives you I guess this is like what you would get if you went to a national park. There's a table of contents with an introduction, information about the ranger station, moon phases, sunlight, rain, terrain, that kind of stuff. So it's really, again, very cute and obviously a lot of space for you to take notes. So this will be my notebook during um, this series really cute but i'll read a little bit of the introduction here it says welcome to moon summit national park consisting of almost two million acres moon summit contains some of the most remote and untouched sections of alaskan wilderness visitors are encouraged to metaphorically lose themselves in the wonders of nature this handbook provides a brief guide to the park's wildlife and more very cool so i'm guessing this series takes place in alaska beautiful all right, so that's there's a notebook. There's a couple pieces of evidence I'm not going to look at right now because there is a letter from Michelle Gray from Gray Investigations, and she's going to introduce to us what the situation is, what the scenario is, and what we need to do for this box. Welcome to Gray Investigations, it begins. I'm glad to officially have you on the team. Thank you for signing up. I haven't quite perfected the onboarding process yet, so I hope you're eager to jump right in. We'll call it on-the-job training. There's an assignment I'd like you to take the lead on, since my plate is already full and new requests are coming in each day. Needless to say, I'm thrilled there's no lack of clientele vying for my business. If only I had more hours in the day. But that's where you come in. Ami Takahashi, a graduate student from Whitlock University in Connecticut, recently contacted me for help. She believes her friend Toby Mendia died under mysterious circumstances. Ooh. The death was quickly ruled to be an accident. Case closed. However, I think the incident deserves to be scrutinized further. What's to say that Toby wasn't the victim of a crime? What's to say that's, that wasn't a, 
what's to say this wasn't a murder? If these questions still need answers, then the case is worth revisiting. I have an obligation to other cases right now, but I don't want Ami to have to wait any longer. Reading, read through her letter and read through her letter that I included and you'll quickly understand the situation we're dealing with. For now, I've created a shared desktop for this assignment at blank to log in, use password blank. You'll have full access to DeviantTracker Pro, the main program I use for all my investigative work in the tools tab. I uploaded several references that might help your research. There's also a decoder that came standard with the program. Additionally, you'll find a desktop short, shortcut to the Whitlock University portal, where you can access Ami's student account and take a look at whatever file she uploads. Your job is to look through the materials Ami sent and see if there's evidence to prove that this death wasn't accidental. If there's no fur if there's no proof that Toby was murdered, we won't need to conduct a new investigation. My advice would be to try to find a murder weapon. If you do, send me a message using the contact shortcut on the desktop. Title of the message should with the type of weapon and in the message body you can find you can elaborate on your findings. If nothing suspicious turns up in your in your investigation, just title the message, nothing found, and we'll figure out where to go from there. In either case, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Good luck on your first official assignment, Investigator. Signed, Michelle Gray of Private Private Investigator Gray Investigations, LLC. Very cute. So yeah, there's so much detail that goes into these boxes. They, Michelle Gray, as per the last box, created a special little website for us to keep track of all of the evidence and in there i'm sure we're going to find a lot of really cool things before i open that web page i i want to take a look at this letter from ami takahashi now this letter comes on a letter head belonging to whitlock university's department of natural sciences and it reads to the office of Michelle Gray. I'm not sure what the usual protocol is for reaching out to a private investigator, so I'm sorry if I'm going about this the wrong way. All I know for sure is that I need help and I'm hoping you're the right person to talk to. I'm a graduate student of zoology at Whitlock University. I recently volunteered to archive materials from a university-sponsored research expedition that took place in the summer of 2018. Toby Mendia, a fellow graduate student here at Whitlock, had joined the expedition as their photographer. Unfortunately, the trip was cut short. Toby died five weeks before the expedition was planned to end. The press release from Whitlock says that he was the victim of an animal attack, despite all possible precautions. Quote, I took on the job of archiving what was left of the expedition, and I think, in retrospect, I was looking for a way to be closer to his memory to make peace with his passing. I wanted to find anything that indicated Toby was happy in the weeks before he died. What I found, instead, were dozens of documents that just didn't line up with the story that the university had told us. I trusted the official narrative and believed what happened was just a terrible accident. Now, I'm not so sure. I've been reaching out over the past couple of months to the other members of the expedition, but they've been avoiding my emails and dodging my calls. I'd assumed that they were having trouble with the aftermath of it all, but now their complete radio silence sound, now sounds sinister to me. I don't always trust my gut, but it's telling me that something is deeply wrong. I've included some things from the expedition for your review. 
in case you see anything that you believe warrants deeper digging. I'm especially concerned about the autopsy, but that might be because of my science background. Some of the materials were digitally archived before I was granted access to the original, so please feel free to use my university portal login and take a look for yourself. Toby was a good friend of mine. He was a brilliant photographer and he knew how to take care of people. I live pretty far from my family, but he always made sure to include me on holidays, so I never had to spend the time alone. The reminder that I won't get Thanksgiving in his tiny apartment ever again. It makes a world it makes the world a much, much harder place to live in. Whatever happened on that trip, this is the last chance I have to take care of Toby the way that he took care of me. A lot of these materials were difficult to go through, and I honestly don't know how much longer I'll even have access to these documents. I can't do this alone. Will you help? Signed, Ami Takahashi. I am sad. Okay, so, well, there you go. Now we know we, we know the login information for the university portal, and we can also now look at Ami Takahashi's uh, own stuff. All right, so those two letters are down, and we also have a an actual folder. Uh, this came standard in the other series as well, and this folder, if I'm not mistaken, is probably going to have some evidence. So I'm opening it up, and sure enough, there is a brochure in here for the Department of Natural Sciences, which is where Ami uh, is a student or a graduate student at. I assume this is the... This is probably the pamphlet to uh, for the expedition because it says it says it's a special feature. Go west, Conrad. Doctor Wildingham to lead Alaskan expedition for exclusive ghost links. Ooh. All right. Before I read that, let's see the we have in here the final autopsy report as well as uh, some other things. Yeah, so we have the autopsy report. There's a, um, a diagram of some of the marks and wounds. Uh, you probably have seen this if you if you follow like investigative reports on on TV or whatever, where they have like little drawings of like standard people, and then the autopsy reporter will like draw on those little diagrams to say like where the wounds were and all that stuff. Ooh, that's me getting an email. Disregard. So, okay. All right, so let's see. There's that, and on the right-hand side, there's the incident report. So I think I'm going to read the incident report first. Um, okay. So incident report. Park name, Moon Summit National Park, case number, blip. Date recorded, August 30th, 2018. It was called in at 12.32 a.m. Okay. Seems important. The nature of the incident, nature of the incident, fatality, bear attack. Oh, God. Wait, let me see what my email, what's going on in my email? Uh, like I have a meeting in 30 minutes so let's let's keep reading all right so this is what the incident report says it says the nature of the incident was a bear attack 
okay. Location of incident, and it says here, okay, so this, these are the details of the incident that were submitted by Ranger Beth Fleming. Okay. On August 30th, 2018, at 2.32 a.m., the ranger station received radio transmission from Mr. Russell Tudlick, a member of the Whitlock University Expedition Team. He communicated that a fellow expedition member, Mr. Toby Mendia, had been missing for several hours. We assembled a search team consisting of myself, Ranger Lou Larson, and Ranger Evelyn Porter. We left the station and began our hike at 12.53 a.m. Ranger Vic Murphy remained behind at the station at a point of as a point of contact and in case of emergency. We arrived at the expedition camp in Region 3A at 3.08 a.m. There were no other rangers on duty at the time. After we met the team, Mr. Tudlick explained the situation. After finishing dinner around 9 p.m. on August 29th, 2018, okay, let me look at this. Let me see something. All right, the team had free time before they were expected to turn in at 11 p.m. At 11 p.m., Mr. Mendia was the only member not present at camp. The team waited for Mr. Mendia to return to camp and periodically attempted to contact him over walkie-talkie, but they received no response. At 12 a.m., they began searching for Mr. Mendia in the surrounding area, starting southeast of the camp due to the darkness and the darkness and rough terrain. The team halted their search and contacted us for aid. Mr. Tudlick's account of the use of the situation was accurate according to the rest of the expedition team. At 3.24 a.m., we began an outward spiral ground search of Region 3A using the camp as a central location. The expedition members who assisted in the search also assisted in the search. We found several items scattered throughout the region during our search, including a hiking medallion, a compass, and a signal mirror. The owners of these items were not confirmed. The locations where these items were found are referenced in the, in the related incident sketch and region diagram. At 6.05 a.m., a body later confirmed to be Mr. Mendia was found seven yards from the entrance of Echo Cavern. The body was face down, wearing a torn and bloodied jacket. I secured the scene while Ranger Larson and Ranger Porter scanned the area for signs of wildlife. When the area was pronounced to be clear, I confirmed the body had no pulse. I observed early signs of lividity and the appearance of animal-induced wounds across the neck, back, arms, and thigh. The size and pattern of the wounds indicated a fatal bear attack. An impression, an impression line in the dirt suggested the body had been dragged toward the cave entrance post-mortem. Bear tracks and bear scat were found in the immediate area. About two yards from the body, there was a destroyed camera, shredded granola bar wrapper, flashlight, and backpack. After recovery of the contents of the backpack were revealed, a wallet, lanyard, and attached keychain, multi-tool, camera lens, compass, Moon Summit Wildlife Guide, Moon Summit Region 3A map, and functional walkie-talkie. Okay. At 6.19 a.m., I contacted Ranger Murphy at the station via radio and requested emergency services. We briefly discussed the need for a coroner to confirm the death for official records and helicopter support to assist in the removal of the body. As we waited for emergency services, Ranger Porter escorted the expedition team away from the scene. I began collecting physical evidence and photographs of the body. Ranger Larson began a sketch of the body for the related incident sketch and region diagram. 
At 8.11 a.m., a removal team and coroner arrived via helicopter from Anchorage General Hospital. Mr. Calvin Ballard, Anchorage County Deputy Coroner, confirmed death at the scene. The body was then transported to Anchorage General Hospital for autopsy. The investigation of the area concluded at 8.53 a.m. on August 30th, 2018. After the area was cleared, the expedition team members were escorted to the ranger station to complete written statements as a supplement to the investigation. Conclusion. The following is an assumption based on physical evidence and supporting interviews. On August 29, 2018, Mr. Toby Mendia left the expedition camp sometime after 9 p.m. to take night to take night photographs near Echo Cavern. While laying on the ground to take a photograph, he was attacked by a bear and suffered fatal wounds. His time of death was between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. Okay, all right, wow. Delightful. And then underneath is an actual like sketch of how the body was found. A really nice sketch, by the way, where they have like his his sad self bear tracks all around flashlight shoe and like yardage and stuff like that and the person who drew this was Lou Larson whose name is spelled differently on the sketch diagram than what it is on the incident report but okay uh okay so there's that drawing and then there is a written statement Okay, there's a written statement in here. I'm guessing this is Rusty Tudlick, who was one of the uh, Whitlock Expedition team members. Okay, so, oh, there's written statements from all of them in here. Oh God, there's gonna be a lot of reading in this episode, guys. Ooh, there's a photo. Ew. There's a photo of like him, like dead. evidence bag because like now I'm really curious so in the evidence bag they have two evidence bags and then they have put writing on them and inside is this one is a bear claw that was found inside of the lab tent so it's literally like a little bear claw delicious and then in the other bag is a multi-tool that was found in Toby's bag very cute definitely something I will probably use in real life it has like a little screwdriver and everything I'm sure my husband is gonna steal that okay so let's then I'm gonna have to keep reading guys because there's more to read I hope you're not sick of my voice because you're gonna hear it a lot all right so here's the statement from Rusty Tudlick it says, last night we had gotten a ping off one of the traps in the east of camp. So after dinner, I decided to head out there to check what we got and, re and reset it. Once I got there, I thought our luck had finally turned as I saw there was a cat inside. But it wasn't the ghost, just a regular loop servier. I'm guessing they're there looking, because they were, they're looking for like mountain cats, I guess. The SOB, <laughs> the SOB put up a hell of a fight and got my arm good as I was setting it free. I made it back to camp and wrapped up my arm. Before turning in for the night, I always check to see if everyone's accounted for. I shared a tent with Toby and he wasn't there. I asked around and nobody had seen him. We went out to search, found nothing, and called the rangers. You know the rest. What happened to Toby is a damn shame. I don't want to sound callous, but this is exactly the kind of thing that happens when you bring a greenhorn on a five-month expedition. Don't know what a greenhorn is. 
The school never should have let him come without extensive field training. Oh, I guess that's what a green word is. Toby never did listen. The group knew not to go off alone. He knew not to set out too close to a bear den, but he did. The poor kid was in a position he never should have been in, and he made hard and he made bad decisions on top of it. As awful as it is, you can't be surprised by what happened. Alright, Rusty. Well Thank you for that. Alright, the next one is Lillian Walker. And she is who is Lillian? Let me see. Maybe it's she's in here. Lillian, Lillian. Lillian Walker is a documentarian. Amazing. All right. And Russ and Russell Rusty Tedlick was like the regional expert. Okay. So Lillian Walker is uh, producing a documentary about their expedition. Okay. So her incident report reads, Last night I was preoccupied thinking about which shots I still needed for my documentary. My top priority was to take more footage at Golden Hour. It's a filming must-have. The soft, warm colors really complement landscape shots. In May, when we first arrived here, the sun would set around 11 p.m., but I was always asleep by then since we needed to be up by 6 or 6.30 or 7 in the morning. It's late August now, and Rusty told me the sun would be going down a little after 9 p.m., so when I was done eating, I hiked over to one of the more scenic spots with my camera. I assumed Toby was doing the same elsewhere. We're not supposed to go out alone, but I don't blame him for being reckless. Toby and I were kindred spirits, so in the end I understand why he would risk it for a perfect he would risk it for the perfect shot. Chills me to the bone to think I could have met the same fate. Wow. So for the record, these were all so Rusty's statement was taken at 1.37 p.m. Uh, Lillian's was taken at 1.32 p.m. Okay, and at 1.44 p.m. we have Conrad Wildingham, and Conrad is the zoologist and expedition leader. He's like the head of this whole thing. Alrighty. Okay. So his statement reads, from what I saw of the body, the rangers were correct in labeling this as a bear attack. We received countless warnings from Rusty about going out alone, especially between dusk and dawn. Bears are crepuscular? Crepuscular? Bears are crepuscular, and I assume Toby had learned as much during his time out here. He was a spirited boy, but very foolish. As far as my night went, I retired to my shed, uh, to my shared, <laughs> not my shed, uh, to my shared tent after dinner and did a bit of, of journaling to recount the day. Then I spent an hour or so stretching per my nightly routine. Oh God, Conrad. I've had this routine for many years and it's been serving me well during this strenuous trip. Around it, I heard members of the team start to return to camp and get ready to turn in. Rusty was concerned that Toby hadn't returned and asked if anyone had been with him after dinner. I suggested we start a search right away, but it took an hour of debate before we actually set off. We received no reply while trying to contact Toby's walkie-talkie, so I suggested starting out our search in the immediate area to the southeast. I had seen Toby take interest in an eagle nest in the area as of late. When the search proved too difficult, we called the rangers. It's shameful to think Toby might have been out there alone while we were busy squabbling amongst ourselves. Alright. I wanted to read something really quick because I was sort of, uh, I was, I've been referring to the, uh, the pamphlet that was in 
the box, like the Department of Natural Sciences pamphlet. I've been referring to it to see who these people are. Um, so Dr. Conrad Wildington, is, his PhD dissertation, uh, so with claims of a new lynx species coined to the ghost lynx, which was spotted during a term in Alaska. While many doubted his claims, defended his dissertation, and earned a PhD in zoology, despite his desire to return and gain concrete proof of the species, the funding stars never aligned, and Dr. Wellington eventually moved out to other to research other topics. While searching, while teaching zoology at Whitlock, he wrote several books on animal behavior theory. His expedition duties will include leading the team, providing schedules and assignments, collecting and analyzing samples, and keeping inventory. So that's what they're looking for. They're looking for proof of this lynx. And for those who don't know what a lynx is, it's like a type of cat, like a wild cat. All right, so that's Dr. Wildington. Oh God. And then there's this person named Nigel, Nigel Ritchie. And Nigel Ritchie is the expedition's biologist. He spent his research on mammalian hibernation patterns. He's also mentored countless students. So he is friends with Dr. Wildington. Cool. All right. All right, Nigel, let's see what you have to say. I'm afraid I won't be of much help in this matter. I spent the entire evening at camp, but I'll provide you with the details I remember from last night. Toby was with us for dinner. He seemed to be his normal chipper self. Some members of our expedition found his attitude annoying, but personally, I enjoyed his youthful exuberance. After the group meal, I adjourned to the technology tent for the evening. I needed to compile another report for the university. I would have rather done so from the, quote, comfort, quote, of my own cot, but I had no interest in being distracted by Conrad's blasted nightly exercise regime. I was able to get an hour or so of work done before I heard rustling noise sounds coming from another tent. I expected it was Conrad making a desperate effort to prevent his body from becoming as feeble as his scientific integrity. (laughs) Wow. I put on a set of headphones to drown out the noise and resumed my work. I went to turn in around 11. Thankfully, Conrad was already in bed so I could carry out my dental hygiene process in peace. I was in the middle of my second flossing pass when Rusty informed us that Toby wasn't in the camp. Conrad jumped to organize a search party. I suggested we leave the matters to the rangers, but Rusty and Conrad insisted on starting the search immediately. Our frantic group did the best we could, but as you know, we proved ineffective. I don't know what Toby thought he was doing, going off on his own like that. It was terrible to see what a creature did to him. Okay. And, and there's like some other like words here that were scratched off and it looks like what it said is all of the blood and blank bites and blank bites and alright okay Nigel thank you for that alright and then the last thing I'm gonna read 
is the final autopsy report. So this is what was conducted on the scene. No, mentira. This is what was conducted at the Anchorage General Hospital. The physician was Levi Jacobson at 12 p.m. on August 31st. Okay, so Toby was 25 years old, male. He was of African-American race. He was 71 inches, 181 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, date of birth, uh, October 7th, 1992. So that means he was a Libra? Yeah, he was a Libra. All right, anatomic findings. Deceased adult male with fixed rigor mortis and postmortem lividity. Mechanism of death is hemothorax on the right side combined with a fatal loss of blood from a transected left internal jugular vein. Based on the pattern of liver mortis in front of the body, this is an opinion here. Based on the pattern of liver mortis in front of the body and the lack of frontal impact injury, death most likely occurred while the victim was lying down. So that they've already tried to confirm in the sketches and what was said in the incident reports and all that was that he was lying down and that's what he's okay the wounds are abnormal but overall consistent with animal attack and scavenging okay sweet the circumstance the circumstantial summary the descendant the decedent was a 25 year old african-american male who left the campsite of his research expedition for unknown reasons sometime between the hours of 9 and 11 p.m. following dinner on August 29th, 2018. He did not return, and his body was found by searchers at approximately 6 a.m. the following morning near a known bear habitat. The body was found face down in original clothing. Postmortem injuries on body were found over over around the antemortem injuries that caused the fatality. The postmortem injuries obscured the specific circumstances of the fatality but are consistent with scavenging behaviors of animals known in the area the decedent was found in. Uh, the documents were examined by a were examined through a telephone conversation with Calvin Ballard, who is the Anchorage County Deputy Coroner. Uh, on August 31st, a complete postmortem examination was performed on the body of Toby Mendia whose identity was confirmed by the Anchorage County Coroner's Office. Persons present for the autopsy include Sherry Mathis as autopsy assistant. So his clothing and valuables included a thermal outdoor jacket, torn and bloodied, hiking trousers left torn at left leg and bloodied, knit wool sweater, torn and bloodied, long sleeve style shirt. Basically what he was wearing, boxers, thick socks, sneaker. Okay. All right, so the external examination. The body is that of a well-developed, well-nourished African-American male adult of normal weight appearing to be at the stated age of 25 years. The body length is 71 inches from crown to sole, and the estimated body weight is 181 pounds. Scalp hair is brown. Jaundice cannot be assessed in the skin or salary. The the irides. The irides appear to be brown and the pupils fixed and dilated. There are no contact lenses present. There are There is no evidence of conjunctival petechial hemorrhage. The nose is normal. Teeth are present. There is no denture. Oral hygiene is good. The ears are not pierced. The neck shows sharp force injury to be described below. The body appears. It's to the examiner stated above. Identification is by coroner. 
and the autopsy is not material to identification the body is not embalmed the head is normal cephalic with evidence of external traumatic injury on the lower scalp to be described below extremities are intact the back of the the back of the trunk and the lower extremities likewise show injuries to be described below animal scavenging of the body has affected the assessment of the non-scavenging wounds there's no there are no injuries anti-mortem or post-mortem to the front of the chest and abdomen which means he was laying down on them the external genitalia are those of a male adult the anus is dilated with and has no evidence of injury well yay good to know Signs of death. Rigor mortis is fixed and postmortem lividity is settled in the front of the body, which means he was laying down and all the blood rushed down to the front of his body. Artifacts. No artifacts of medical or postmortem care are present. No insect activity was present either. So, okay. Uh, and then here's a description of his injuries. Attack injury of neck left side transecting left internal jugular vein. The sharp force injury begins on the left side of the neck at the level of the mid larynx over the left sternocleidomastoid muscle. It is gaping, measuring five inches in deep in depth and one and a half inches in length, with undulating or waving borders, but not serrated. A lot of detail here. Um, I'm just gonna skip it unless I need to go back to it. Uh, and then just go to the pretty pictures. <laughs> There's pictures that show uh, the depth. Like, so basically, he was hurt in the neck, he was hurt on each arm, on the back of his left thigh, on the back of basically on his back. Everything happened on his back, his front. The front part of his body was perfectly intact because he was, again, laying on his stomach. Okay. And then there's some more information about, like, internal investigation. Let's see if there was any... Anything we should know. Serious cavities. An odor of alcohol... An odor, an odor like alcohol is not apparent in the in the cavities, so that means he didn't drink. Respiratory system of that section. No foreign substance in fractional neoplasm. The right lung shows whatever. It was called by the puncture, so it was caused by it wasn't something. It wasn't there's no evidence of a foreign material. Okay. Now his stomach. So he did eat dinner with them. There's no odor like alcohol in the stomach. There are no erosions or ulcers in the stomach. Okay. His liver was fine. His gallbladder was present. He had no gallstones. So by all, it seems like he seems to be fairly healthy. His adrenal glands. There is a small amount, but that's from the hemorrhage, okay. 
so he seemed to be okay. Um, like, he-, he was a healthy guy. Let's see his central nervous system. Specimens for toxicology, liver tissue, and brain tissue. Tissue samples presented representative of the major organs have been processed into glass slides for microscopic examination. These these histologic specimens have been examined and preserved in 10% formaldehyde. Alright, so generally he was a healthy guy. He wasn't drunk when he went out there. He wasn't under any sort of influence. That's what they're able to determine. So it seems pretty consistent with that of an animal attack. Now, I think now that we've looked through mostly all of the evidence, I'm going to take a closer look at this little book because I want to see something about bear attacks in here. I want to understand what the bear attack situation is. So there are two bears that they list here. And they do have footprints, which is nice because the footprints would be important. The footprints are important to the drawing that we found here. So there's a drawing of the kind of bear that it could be. One, two, three, four, five. It looks like then this would be a grizzly bear. So let me read about grizzly bears. The North American brown bear is known regionally as the grizzly bear and can be easily identified by its unique pronounced hump between their shoulders. Also distinguishing them from other species of bears, their large size. A male can weigh up to 800 pounds and can stand almost 10 feet tall. The length of their front claw can vary from 2 to 4 inches. Interesting, because according to the report, his his injuries were five inches deep, not four. Okay, interesting. Uh, the length of their front claws can vary from two to four inches. Grizzlies normally hibernate for five months in the winter, proceeding by a feeding frenzy called hyperphagia in which they eat nearly non-stop they are omnivores and eat plenty of prey like moose and their and their calves in addition to fish and berries grizzlies will often drag their prey to cover the carcass in snow dirt or foliage interesting so in this case the this the victim here was dragged they did find evidence that he was dragged but he wasn't covered in anything he wasn't covered in snow, dirt, or foliage, and the and the the depth of the things that went in, like the like the depth of his injuries, the wounds were five inches deep, and they're saying that grizzlies usually range between two and four inches. Betty, Betty, interesting. I'm looking, I'm scanning through to see if there's any other animal that uh should be. Alright, so there's actually a survival of an animal attack in here. Uh, Okay, well, he might have read this because one of the things it says here is for grizzly bears, it's important when in order to survive, you should play dead by lying on the ground, either on your stomach or in a fetal position. Clasp your hands behind your neck to to protect from a fatal bite. Remain silent until the bear leaves the area. So 
maybe he did read this because he did lay on his front. So maybe he did see a bear. But was it a bear? Maybe he thought it was a bear, but it wasn't a bear. You know, it's important that, I mean, there's a lot of moon stuff here, so I have a feeling that this is eventually going to be a story about werewolves. That's me. Alright, so the other thing that we have to look at is the websites. We need to look at the portal, we need to see the evidence that was collected there, and come to that conclusion based on that too. It's really, it's a very simple website, but they they do such a great job at Hunt a Killer because there's a little, like, they have, they have obviously the Deviant Tracker and all those other things that are going to be relevant to the case, but they also have, like, little websites. Like, one is, like, a drink recipes website from Bon Appetit with a bunch of different, like, cocktail mixes, and they have a Spotify uh, list called the 3AM playlist with a bunch of songs that are kind of woodsy. Uh, they include songs from like 20, uh, 30 Seconds to Mars, uh, Hogtide Revisited, Mysterium, uh, the, I'm sorry, The White Buffalo, Max Richter, Dorothy, uh, Eddie Vedder. So it's like, uh, it's so cool. Uh, but I'm not going to play any of them because they're all copywritten. So what am I going to open? All right, so I'm in here. Uh, let me look at the, uh, let me see the notes to self. Oh, how cute. Uh, it's <laughs> very cute. So the notes to self is just like clean desk, have a gin and tonic, turn on the radio, have another gin and tonic, stretch for 30 minutes, read something that does not relate to the case. Cute. Uh, so I guess while I'm here, let me go into Deviant Tracker Pro. identification chart. The grizzly bear has flat molar-like teeth in the back of its jaw to grind nuts and stuff. Okay. Super cool. I'm sure this is important. It's probably related to what is in the autopsy report. Let's see. It's weird because I don't see like I see like claws, maybe. Oh god, so gross. So many photos. Alright. Um Alright, so let me let me leave this. Let me go back here. So I can only look at the tools right now. Okay. Let me get out of the event tracker. And let me go into the university portal. So we have a supply list. And then the second page of the supply list. Let's see what the press release said. So in here, there's a press release that was released on September 1st, so a couple of days after, from Whitlock University. And it says, the Whitlock University administration is deeply saddened to announce the untimely passing of Toby Mendia. A graduate student in 
and Whitlock's photography program. Despite all possible precautions, Toby was the tragic victim of an animal attack during the recent Moon Summit expedition. Toby spent his final weeks doing what he loved, photographing nature. The faculty, staff, students, and entire Whitlock community extend our condolences to the Mendia family during this troubling time. The Moon Summit expedition has been, has been indefinitely suspended to allow the team members led by Dr. Conrad Wildingham to time to grieve and process the tragedy that befell their friend and co-worker. Toby was a brilliant grad student and the entire Whitlock community is less without him, said Professor Janet Fredericks, Toby's graduate advisor. Grief counseling will be offered in the Student Resource Building from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. through September 14th. Ami Takahashi, friend of the deceased, will be leading a candlelit vigil outside of the Whitlock Field House on September 3rd at 8 p.m. All are welcome to attend. Oh, well. Well, that's that. Now, I think it's important to look at, well, basically the only thing that you can really pay attention to is the supply list. Uh, okay, so let me compare the supply list, like the equipment list provided by so they only had one bear spray they had wait they had one they had they bought a box that had 10 each they and how many people were on the expedition one two three four five six seven eight why didn't why didn't he have did he not have bear spray with him why didn't he have bear spray the carabiner, which we have, a clip-on microphone, compass, DSLR, fire starter, flashlight, foldable stool, glow stick, lamp tent, multi-tool, which we have as well, an SD card, a sewing kit. That's weird. They had bear spray, and they didn't, he didn't have it on him. Let's look at what is like a five inch something because what happened to he has five inch wounds and the bear claws aren't five inches long or are they we have a bear claw and we have a we have a measuring tool let me take a look so we have like a little bear claw Yeah, this bear claw is like two inches long, so how... What is five inches? Okay. Uh, they do have a survival blade. It was three and a half inches wide. Uh, let me see the second page. There was six of them, so each of them should have had one. Okay, I think I'm ready to make contact. So what I'm doing right now is I'm sending a message inside of the portal. On the website, there is a contact uh, place. So I'm going to use it to insert what I think was the murder weapon. 
so now I'll have to wait and see if I was right. All right, I've now received my reply from Michelle Gray. All right, I think you're right about the murder weapon. Out of all the possibilities, it would have had to have been the blank. According to the autopsy, the non-fatal wounds were indicative of animal scavenging behavior, but the fatal wounds had no such indication. The wounds inflicted by the bear after Toby died, they were a perfect cover-up. What an awful coincidence, or did the murderer plan this? I'll let Ami know that you've uncovered and ask her to dig up some more materials from the university archive. In the meantime, I think I'll think about how we can proceed from here. Expect a new assignment in my in my next letter. I'll be approaching this as a murder case from now on. Great work, investigator. Yay! So I just solved my first box of the Moon Summit uh, case. And wow, I think this is going to be a really fun time. I mean, I'm sad that I'm doing it alone, but, you know, it gives us something to do. And you and I can have some fun as well. You guys are discovering all of these new things with me. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. So... So yeah, that's that. There goes this episode, and uh, hopefully I'll get that box like tomorrow, the next box, because I'd like to have as much um, as much to do as possible. But it looks like this is gonna be a really fun story. Again, if you're ever if you're interested in Hunt to Killer, let us know. If if you've been playing the Hunt to Killer series, let us know. Like, where are you? Did you play the the class of '98? Did you um, were you able to figure out the murderer? Are you curious? Do you have any questions about how this all works? Because look, I had a fine time doing it alone. It's so much more fun when you're doing it with other people. But like this is, I I I would love to have a chat with you about it. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, me, <laughs> thank you guys for joining me here on the Baby Lambs podcast. I hope that you're all doing well. Make sure you wash your hands. Make sure you stay away from everybody else, at least for the uh, coming times. Try to stay mentally healthy. Remember, if you have nothing else to do and you're not sure where to, what else to do, you can always talk to us. You can always go visit some of our older episodes. I would even recommend going into our Dungeon and Dragon series where you can really listen to us, get really knee deep into some really, really beautiful storytelling. Um, and it's all based on our own adventures. Uh, well, I guess together, imaginative adventures. But uh, yeah, so we're here for you, just like you guys are here for us. We love you guys. Stay healthy, and we will talk to you soon. Bye! Thank you for listening to the Baby Lambs Podcast. Artwork created by Janabelle Art. You can follow her on Instagram at Janabelle Art, or you can follow her studio at Studio Nami Tattoo. Music created by Daniel Lacosta and produced by Sunset Studios Miami. You can follow them on their Instagram at Sunset Studios Miami. And you can follow us on Instagram via our handle at Baby Lambs Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Baby Lambs PCast or Baby Lambs Podcast. You can find us now on iTunes and Google Play yeah, yeah. and even on CastBox, which is actually a really cool app. Also by finding us via our handle baby lambs podcast or by visiting our website at babylambspodcast.com 
Thanks again for listening.